Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Good Football Show. I'm your host, Patrick Darty, here with John Daigle, Kyle Dvorak, Patrick Crane, where we will be previewing Thursday night football and some of Week 10's biggest games on this first of our two preview shows. That includes the Falcons at the Cowboys and the Titans hosting the Saints. We'll also be graced with a Crane stat of the week, which he's kind of turning into stats of the week. I was promised two stats of the week, I believe for the second straight week. Well, they're not necessarily supposed to be the stat of the week. I just, I thought I was hoping you out if I say, hey, like, you know, when you're throwing stuff around, I got some good stuff on Goddard. You might want to. These are, these are stunning numbers that turn the entire season. They don't have to be branded. Yeah, no, they're branded and they're sponsored by uh, Burt's Bees, the chapstick I just applied before this podcast. So, Burt's, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sponsoring Crane's Stats of the Week. Now we're going to dive into every fantasy relevant player. I, th- I thought about skipping the pre-show banter, but just real quick, do you guys have any pre-internet memories? Denny and I talked about the, about that this week, and his pre-internet memory was Blockbuster. You know, Denny's 49 years old, so he remembers a little more than we do. But I just when I say pre-internet, what do you guys think of, Daigle? Uh, Mixtapes, um, <laughs> recording off the radio onto cassettes. I did so that. I could, so I could save the songs, because like radio stations probably do now, now I only listen to... Sports talk radio, which is also the seventh circle of hell. Uh, you used to be able to catch one particular song, your favorite song, at the oh, top yeah. of every hour. It would not space it apart. And so you would know when to tune in. And Kyle's just looking at me like, what the hell are these boomers talking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you would know when to tune in and hit record on the cassette player and record that song. And then that was like building your own cassette. It was pretty awesome. It was, and sometimes it wasn't even like top of the hour stuff. You would just sit and wait like, when are they going to play Wood? Question mark by Alice in Chains, folks. Yeah. We got to get that on the tape. Kyle has no idea who Alice I have a brother are. 14 years older than me. And so he made me a tape of all these uh, various songs that were kind of popular at the time, including a lot of grunge music. So I remember listening. I was like, you know, this like super fifth grader who's like really into Soundgarden and everything. <laughs> he made, so he made you a paperweight is what you're saying. Uh, no, I listened I, to it a lot. 
I don't know if I have pre-internet uh, memories. You, you honestly, like, you, there's no way you could. You're just like not even like making an ageist joke. You just actually are too. Yeah, young. and the things that would be pre-internet memories for me would just be a time when I wasn't allowed on the internet. I was too young to see the the complete dangers of the internet. Not that I didn't like have access to it. I was just gated away from it. So I don't like. And my version of the cassette stuff was using shady internet websites to uh, <laughs> to download music. Given that it's past the statute of oh, limitations, the now. music is. <laughs> and, uh, and like i think the don't millennials don't uh gen x think vinyl is cool like, that seems like something that that's, seems that's like every generation now. yeah i, I, I think that's just every, like everyone has come around to that i do have a vinyl player but it was so i can play my parents old vinyls i have a bunch of old uh you guys might recognize them from like the 50s and 60s and vinyl i had to have a tough conversation with my dad he, he's he's insistent that CDs are going to come back like vinyl. Oh is no, now. there's no. That, that, that's no, not no. happening. The whole point of vinyl is that it sounds clean. Yeah, they sound they don't sound clean. They sound warm. People like the warmth. They sound they, warm. They sound vintage. It. Yes, they sound better. Well, uh, CD of, yeah. CDs like yeah. There's no way you'd have to get a CD player too. I think Corrine's dad is right because the vinyl thing is just about people wanting to have something physical. The CDs is just about wanting to have something physical. So they're not practical anymore, of course. I may or may not collect CDs. That's the end of the show for today, folks. Uh, yeah. Uh, if, you, if you gave me, like, Pat, if you sent a DVD to me, I would not know how to play it or what to do with it anymore. I, 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 I like know where I, like where I can play things. I, you know, it's like a way to show off to you. I, I even still buy a few movies every once in a while. It's, it's not practical at all. This is insanity. That is like, you buy them on. What do you mean? What? You buy them on like Blu-ray? Or yeah, yeah, like you know, like the Criterion Collection or something. There's like special collections of these things, and you, I just feel like it's sad to have. Like, why should everything just exist in the ether? You know, Pat, you like, vaguely file, sound like, like a hoarder. This sounds like you might <laughs> no, no, this, an is, this is uh, you'll come. Around, people will come. Around, everyone will have a collection of some sort. Mine are just kind of anachronisms <laughs> right uh, now. Yeah, everyone collects something. The, the CD collection is in the other room with the 70 stacks of newspapers. No, Don't worry. It, it, I still get some magazines. I still get some magazines. I'm looking at my CDs right now. There are hundreds of them. Magazines. Uh, yeah. I get I get the Economists, folks. I get the New Yorker. I get Rolling Stone. We're uh, actually doing this live stream over Carrier Pigeon. <laughs> yeah. uh, is it 1998 where you are? Do I really want to be staring at a screen all day? I mean, I stare at a screen 17 hours a day. I need to just read a magazine for you know two minutes a day. Um, anyways, we're getting on to the magazine of games this week's Thursday night football where the Dolphins are reportedly preparing for Jacoby Brissett to start against the Ravens as Tua Tagovailoa struggles to grip the football with his finger injury. This one could come down to the wire, but we don't know. It might be a game time decision with Tua but right now. Points bet has the Ravens getting seven and a half points as heavy road favorites. Kyle, I was originally going to ask if Tua was streamable, but I guess the question now is, is there any Dolphin we can trust outside of Jalen Waddell and Mike Jacecki against what is a really big pass funnel defense from the Ravens? Uh, I mean, there are not Dolphins pass catchers, but Miles Gaskin is coming alive now, especially with Malcolm Brown out. He looks to have uh, not a complete dominant share of the backfield uh, carries over Salvin Ahmed, but it seems to be a clear one-two, and they're not doing the thing where they mix up their leading carrier every week. But pass catchers, no, that's it. Those are the two guys, and even then, the ceiling is slightly capped, although the Ravens defense is just so much worse than they've been in recent years. Like one of the lower teams in yards per play, passing yards per game allowed. So, I mean, I'm not saying you should play Jacoby Brissett, but at least by extension, the, the players who we were already targeting 
at a minimum, have a, a beatable matchup despite their poor quarterback play. But outside of those two, no, you've pretty much summed up the passing who, attack. Like who even who is the, who is the Dolphins' number two receiver? Mac Collins? Mac, I think it's Mac Collins. I think he, I mean he saw like six targets last week, but that's I'm I'm not I cannot come in here and say that that means anything. Preston Williams might just was, be number two wide receiver. Yeah, yeah Preston, Preston Williams was injured too. So when he is available again, I would imagine that's him. Otherwise, it has been a combination of Albert Wilson to a lesser extent of Mac Hollins. But I do think it's a slightly concerning matchup for Tua. The volume will be there since the Dolphins are still passing at the third highest rate from neutral game script and fifth highest when trailing, which is what we expect them to do in this game against the Ravens. But Tua has struggled, as we know, under pressure, completing 49% of his passes for with four picks, zero touchdowns under duress this year, and more importantly, just 3.7 yards per attempt against the Blitz. And we know that's what Wink Martindale brings at the fifth highest rate in the league this year. So I am slightly concerned that this is more of a voluminous game, but not a really efficient one for fantasy for Tua. As Nagel's describing it, it's a Jacoby Brissett game. This was (laughs) They would have just been using him anyways. Right. Well, even Brissett's not great against Pratt. I mean, Brissett is like one of the more famously slow, like methodical quarterbacks in the entire league. And that, that is not going to play well against Wink Martindale either. What we're really saying is that even though the Ravens bleed passing yards, we don't have much faith in Tua or Brissett to have like yeah. a streamable night, do we? Brissett has a lot of Byron left in him. Yeah, I like that. I see that. So he's a future world champion offensive coordinator. Uh, that's going to be great. That's going to be really <laughs> cool. Behind the pass catchers, we got Miles Gaskin, who had the plotter special in week nine, 20 carries for 34 yards. Over his past two games, he has 32 carries for 68 yards, Miles Gaskin. Like there are guy, like there are like those old who is that old guy we used to always make fun of on Frank the Gore. Titans? Uh, yeah, I mean Frank Gore is blushing at 32 carries for 68 yards. Let's just put it is Miles Gaskin an RB2 or the number Eddie George? Yeah, no, you, no <laughs> hey, come on, man. Come on, man. No, I think well, it was, years, it was pretty... I thinking of Matt Asiata, but that was the Vikings. The, the, the Titans had an Asiata special for a while, but I can't place the, the guy's name. But is anyone billing Miles Gaskin as an RB2 this week? Kyle already explained it, that they're not going anywhere else. There are only 13 other backfield touches behind him the past two games without Malcolm Brown. And that's why Gaskin has been a touch-based RB2 in that span, averaging 16 carries and five targets per game. So it was frustrating in DFS that he got there with a touchdown when he was a bad play last week, uh, knowing he's going to get the cut touches, but also that the Dolphins weren't going to be in a position to run the ball at all. But he is still continuing to be a touch base, like I said, RB2. Uh, you've already done your rankings, Pat, so I'm sure you've seen the list. It's always about the landscape this year, since no fantasy player except Cooper Cup is good. And Gaskin just fits in there seamlessly because he's just going to be used. That's It's that simple. It is that simple, and that's why I do have him ranked in the top 24. And the Titan I was thinking of, by the way, was Jackie Battle. Zoomers will truly not remember Jackie Battle. Very athletic Jackie yeah. Battle. Yeah. Doesn't ring any bells, to be honest. Former Chief uh, Crate, yep. Yeah, he's he's now 62 years old. Even though he was playing as recently as 2014, he's 62 <laughs> years old, Jackie Battle. So we hope you're doing well in retirement, Jackie. I think there's more to talk he about here. magazines. These, yeah, he loves magazines. We're in the same club together. More to talk about these Ravens. And Rashad Bateman was ninth in week nine in air yards amongst receivers with 111. But he turned those into just 52 actual yards, Karane. Uh, was that something to build on versus his awful uh, Dolphins defense? And how does what's the interplay right now between Rashad Bateman and Marquise Brown? I heard you may or may not have a stat on Marquise Brown. 
I do. I, I'm very bullish on both these guys, you know, because we're seeing a Ravens offense that's balanced. They don't really have an option to go run heavy. We'll talk about Devonta Freeman in a bit. But, you know, when that's the running game, you're going to want to pass more. And they have been passing more. What we wanted to see from Bateman was that his routes were going to go up. That's what we wanted last week. And we saw it. He was at 81% route run rate last week. He was in the 60s prior to that in his two games. So that's a big increase. We can call him a full-time player at this point. We'd love to see him up 85 90%, even above that. But this is still like a solid base where he can actually have a breakout You know, with this level of routes. He was targeted on 19% of his routes last week with a 13.5 ADOT. That's awesome. Like, you know, it's it's not like elite, but it feels very much like a breakout can be supported with that type of usage. Low yards per target last week, but that is not something I'm worried about. And also he has an 8.5 yards per target on the season. So it's not like it's a, a chronic thing where you're seeing like, you know, Elijah Moore for weeks and weeks and weeks just had the worst yards per target. We know it's a functional passing game. He looks like he's going to have really solid volume and his routes are increasing, kind of breakout imminent wheels up type of situation. On the Brown thing, he is also, I think, underrated in terms of his actual opportunity in this offense because the Ravens have been in this weird situation. And it feels like they're always like this where they're just, you know, they're blowing teams out or they're getting blown out. So they've had reduced routes for guys. You know, you think about the Lions game, they, they pull guys. You think about the Bengals game a couple weeks ago. So, if you look at Whopper, which is Josh Hermsmeyer's stat, weighted opportunity rating that combines target share and air yard share, then Brown is wide receiver 15 in that opportunity metric, which is a per game metric. But if you look at weighted targets per route run, which is a stat that Ben Gretsch has popularized, which factors in air yards into the targets per route run calculation, he's wide receiver eight there. And this is very relevant because if you exclude the Bengals game over the last three weeks, over the last four weeks, he's run a route on 94% of dropbacks or more in every game, you know, three, three of those games minus the Bengals game. So his, his role in this offense is actually understated by things like Whopper, by things like target share. If the Dolphins can push the Ravens here, then I think Brown could have a really big game. And I think Bateman could also be a really strong play. That and feels uh, optimistic, the Dolphins under Jacoby Brissett pushing the Ravens. Uh, I assume you're throwing out that Bengals game because they probably didn't play their guys towards the like fourth quarter or something, right? Yeah, they were getting blown out so bad. Yeah, yeah that game was uh, ugly. And Sammy Watkins returns just in time to screw all those stats up. <sighs> that, that was my concern with all this, is that Sammy Watkins, <laughs> as the Chief showed us, is a guy coaches love to play, despite uh, you know fantasy managers would tell you, I didn't even know he was playing. I think he's going to be kind of like a cardio guy. I think he's going to be like the decisive number three. And he's great at cardio. I mean, he's still got great uh, strength and speed. Nick Boyle could return this game as well, but that could push them into more uh, two wide receiver sets. And if Sammy Watkins gets to run those sweet, sweet cardio reps on two wide, that could push Bateman out of uh, like only into three wide sets. And I don't don't worry about... Watkins usurping Bateman. Uh, I worry about how much he's actually going to cam- cannibalize. We know that Watkins averaged at, or saw at least seven targets in every full game he played prior to injury, all of course without Bateman. And now with Bateman having a 19% target share in his three games without Watkins, I'm just curious what Watkins chips away at here, which is why I think Bateman is closer to a wide receiver low-end wide receiver three, four in this game while we like observe the landscape and see what happens now. That's like a rational way to approach this. I don't want to be rational. I want to say that, you know, 
the routes I don't think are a major concern. I'm not worried about like partly because they don't really have a realistic path of being efficient through the ground game. And they know that this is a smart organization. I'm not that worried about the two tight end set shift. I mean, we saw a ton of Devin Duvernay over the past few weeks. We've seen some James Prochet. There are routes that Sammy Watkins can get in here. That does not need to have Bateman come off the field. The key question is targets. Do the targets stick with Rashad Bateman with Sammy Watkins back on the field? I think it's very prudent of Daigle to say, yeah, maybe. Let's let's wait and see. <laughs> we don't but like prudency. I, I don't like prudent. And yeah, and like I was to say with Boyle, I mean, his job is usually to be paving lanes, you know, for like J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards. He's they're they're not gonna be prioritizing paving lanes for Devontae Freeman. And that's when I ask you guys, like, you know, the game's Thursday night. You can't wait on Devontae Freeman. Is Devontae Freeman a worth like an early week flex spot? Or is it something you hold out just trying to find a better option between now and Sunday? Or do you think Devontae Freeman is locked into enough work that, yeah, there's no shame in getting him out there as a Thursday night flex for your weekend lineup? He's he's not even a flex. He's an RB2. Uh, we saw – we know teams – make major changes out of the buy. That's what we look for. That's what in DFS after buys, we take chances because we assume some things will happen because it's the only time that 14 day break for them to implement new strategies. And what the Ravens did for better or worse is just eliminate Tyson Williams. They made him active, but didn't give him a single touch. Whereas Freeman handled a season high 58% of their backfield touches 15 ahead of Levy on Bell's 11 and a two-man committee. More importantly, though, Freeman ran 32 routes to Bell's five as the pass catcher as well, saw all three running back targets in that game. And so we project for heavily positive game script in this one. So I think Freeman is an awesome play. Yeah, you say they're not paving lanes for, I believe, 5.7 yard per carry, top 15 graded runner by pro football focus, Devonta Freeman. I don't know. No, I mean, there's like... I, it's mostly in chess. He's playing well with the opportunity. Shut down the site. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's playing well with the opportunity he's given, but there was a reason he is their fifth choice at running yeah. back. If I count, yeah. like literally, I mean, if I count those numbers right, and if I'm miscounting, it's probably because I'm like too high on him. There's a reason he was that far down the depth chart. And I don't even believe on the team at the start of the year. So I'm not, you know, enthralled with him. But as Daigle said, not only positive game script, but also the routes. And even on top of like, we see Baltimore tend to not use their running backs as pass catchers, has eight receptions over the past, I believe, four weeks. That's not nothing. So I, I agree. It's not even that you're like kind of worried about him as a flex. You're kind of shamefully, I still think there is shame to doing it, but playing him as an RB2. There's shame. Just like we, but there's shame in that no shame in collecting CDs. We can readjust <laughs> if Latavius Murray and when he comes back next week, but this week for sure it's Devonta Freeman. Yeah, just an update on Murray. He didn't practice Monday or Tuesday, I believe. That's that's not really a good sign for a guy who also has been practicing for a few weeks. We head next to Dallas where points bet has the Cowboys catching nine points as home favorites versus the Falcons. It's actually the Falcons coming off a stirring victory against the Saints. And the Cowboys reeling from a dismal loss to the Broncos. And so, Daigle, I'll just start with this very simple question. What happened to the Cowboys last Sunday? Well, every team has allowed one of these in the NFL. It's just a matter of making sure they don't stack up. But the devil is in the details. Dak Prescott was blitzed at a top five rate coming into this game. And it never really made much sense defenses were attacking him like that since he does actually lead the league with 13 touchdowns against the blitz. He's obviously a high IQ uh, passer. But the Broncos called cover one man coverage on 43% of their snaps, getting pressure with only four players, which explains why the Cowboys through three and a half quarters ran 37 plays for only 145 yards 
under four yards per play and just five first downs going one of 13 on third and fourth down situations. So it was just a different defense that the Cowboys were not used to seeing at all. And of course that happened without Tyron Smith. So if we get Tyron Smith back and thus the Falcons who are still averaging a league low in pressure rate, then I would imagine it gets much easier for Dak and the passing offense as a whole, especially in a game we will likely get Michael Gallup back. And thus you have another answer to respond to man coverage if teams continue doing that against the Cowboys. So Gallup coming back is like, that's like the big new storyline for the Cowboys this week. And Crane, I'll just throw to you on this one. He, he hasn't played since week one, Michael Gallup. What does his return do a receiver core where – we haven't been really getting stable fantasy lines from anyone other than Dalton Schultz, basically. CeeDee Lamb's had a lot of spiked weeks. But he's had some surprisingly low floor weeks. Amari Cooper's had like a okay floor, but very, very few ceiling efforts. How does introducing another very good receiver into this mix affect those guys? Yeah, and to the point on Dak, I, I think he should have a bounce back week here. But my concern is the passing volume putting aside Michael Gallup, like heading into this week, the the Falcons can be run on. They're weak against the run. They rank 23rd in EPA allowed per rush. They're 20th in run defense grade. Teams have, have had uh, a strong preference attacking them on the ground. They've shifted 3% to the run against the Falcons, so they're a bit of a run funnel. Dallas is already a run-heavy team. Uh, they're 2% pass rate ever expected if you include that week one game. But since then, they have a minus 2% pass rate over expected. They've been a run-heavy team after Michael Gallup went out. So adding him back in this context is not great. I mean, we thought, you know, in week one, like, man, this team might be able to support three wide receivers and a tight end, but they really haven't been that team at all since. They've been a run-heavy team, and this could be a run-heavy game plan because of the opponent. So I think it adds risk to CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. Both those guys have been pretty close in terms of you know, their per route opportunity, slight lean to Lamb, but, you know, they've, they've been pretty solid. I think Gallup is going to be the riskiest of them. I mean, we saw last year he kind of got slotted into a very specific role, and so he ended up being kind of like a, a deep threat, touchdown or bust type of play. Um, so I would say maybe a little bit like how Tyler Boyd is the kind of the clear third option in Cincinnati and the other two guys, you know, can kind of cannibalize each other. It's a bit like that, but the Bengals are trending up in the past or had for several weeks before last week, the Cowboys are, are turning in the opposite direction. And this might be a situation where it actually makes sense for them to be run heavy. No matter the outcome though, we should continue having confidence in Dalton Schultz without Blake Jarwin for the next couple of games and readjust from there. We saw Dalton Schultz play a season high 95% of snaps and he accounted for 42 of the team's 45 tight end routes. They're just not playing as you would expect Sean McKean or Jeremy Sprinkle at all behind him. So even with Gallup back, I still have confidence in Schultz as a middle of the road, low end tight end one. Kyle, is there any upside at all to playing Michael Gallup and DFS and his return? Or is this like a, just a classic, you got to see how this actually develops. See if like any sort of profitable fantasy role develops for Michael Gallup. I think you can at least try and, and go to him. I wouldn't be uh, dying to do it, but I mean, there's always upside in the idea that if everyone is going to be, uh, you know, deathly afraid of, well, we need to wait and see. Like the wait and see is exactly where we make money. That's a good point. <laughs> are, uh, you know, they're not willing to embrace. I, risk. I wait and see. That's why, you know, my my bankroll in DFS, you know, it's just like I can't even, you know, fit it on the screen. There's so many zeros for that. So much money I make from waiting and seeing. You know, uh, sorry, horrible joke. Took you wait and CD. 
Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh dear. All right. Well, I'm going to head out, guys. This has been a fun <laughs> show. No, I mean, that would be the reason you would play him is simply for high implied team. Oh, my God. 32 implied team total, which is absolutely nuts. That would have been the highest on the slate last week. And I, I think the week before that as well is absolutely insane. So it's a good game environment, at least a high scoring game environment. Although, as Karain said, the volume is a little questionable. You're playing him because you like to embrace risks, not because there's any sort of certainty to him. You talk about the game environment. Yeah, 54 and a half over under right now via, via our friends of points bet. Uh, Matt, Matthew Ice, Matt Ryan, as you may know him. He's the QB 11 by average points over the past five weeks. He has multiple touchdowns in every start, but one since week one. 300 yards in three of his past four games. Is Matty Ice a top 12 quarterback this week? I think all of us are hesitant to really be excited about No one wants to him. say anything. No one wants that one. I, 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 my I concern is that, they might, that be able to, they might be able to get to him. Uh, the Saints don't have much of a pass rush. Uh, they ranked 30th in pass rush grade by PFF entering week nine. Dallas is weaker than the Saints in the secondary. They're not terrible, but uh, they rank fourth in EPL out per drop back, and they have a stronger pass rush than the Saints. They have a 10th graded pass rush. So some of his weaker games, Ryan, has been against strong pass rushes, and when he can just sit back, he's been much better. So I'm concerned about volume on the other side. If the if the Cowboys go really run heavy, that's going to you know slow down this game, and then I'm, I'm worried about the pass rush getting to Ryan. So this is kind of a game environment overall that I'm a little bit concerned about. Yeah, QB1 seems aggressive for a guy who doesn't run a lot. Uh, He's not really high yards per attempt right now. He's more just a completion guy at this point, which makes sense when he hasn't played many games with Calvin Ridley. Uh, And, you know, Kyle Pitts has kind of been up and down in terms of his production when, like, when Russell Gage is forced to become a part of your game plan, really, at that point, you kind of expect to just be low yardage, high completion, grind out, slow, ugly losses. That's kind of been their mo they're just not nearly as enticing i think without calvin ridley qb1 seems aggressive i think he is streamable but he is you know he's streamable in the way that any pocket passer in a game with a high total is streamable but not desirable it seems not desirable but i've got him as a qb16 right now full disclosure so i don't have him in the top 12 fine but then it's like here's q beginning at qb11 here's the lay of the land right now carson wentz Derek carr Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Teddy Bridgewater, Matt Ryan. It's not an overly inspiring group. So I, I think Teddy Bridgewater is the only one I'd maybe put. Yep, that was, I Teddy Bridgewater's never had a ceiling one, game his entire life, Pat. All right? Uh, that's what oh, I'm saying. Well, 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 <laughs> that's why I put Ryan ahead. <laughs> yeah, I put, I put Ryan ahead of Bridgewater as well. The rest I of think all of us... I think all of us only stopped at Bridgewater, though. I saw everyone in the, in the stream nod like, yep, those guys all make sense ahead of him. So it was just Bridgewater. I think you have him within like a spot of the right uh, position, which is not QB1. For the record, the yell was a joke, but I did think that he was saying he would play Teddy over Matt Ryan. And no. I, was like, well, I actually do have Teddy ranked one spot ahead of Matt Ryan, so I'm yelling at myself. You are uh, yelling at yourself. Are you confused by the Pats as to like, yeah, who I am. you I'm are? Very, <laughs> yes. Versus yes, who I am? Just so, so, so confusing. And I know people want to chase the options without Calvin Ridley as well, but we've seen the past two games that Tajay Sharp and Russell Gage have actually mirrored each other in routes run, the exact number, but they've had whack-a-mole performances. Sharp was the one who produced two weeks ago. Gage was the one who produced this week. And amid all of that, it was still Zacchaeus who got there with two touchdowns on just three targets behind Russell Gage this past week. So I genuinely just think you're on your own. Like, chase if you want, but you're on your own. Real quick with Kyle Pitts, he saw a lot of stuff on Gilmore two weeks ago. He saw a lot of Marshawn Lattimore last week. 
Are we worried about the Cowboys throwing anyone at him? It would probably be good for him if Trayvon Diggs shattered him, right? Mm-hmm. And Trayvon's good, but he seems like a guy who can get beat by Kyle Pitts more than once in a game, probably. It's hard to talk about Trayvon because he has so many good highlight plays, but like he legitimately gives up big plays all the time. Like yeah. I don't want to like he is having an incredible, like incredible moments behind a myriad of letting offensive players get behind him and giving up big plays maybe that's a like a perfectly fine way to play defense if you can actually reliably pick up interceptions as often as he does but uh he's not a matchup concern for any receiver that i like i really would let's just say the guy has studied a lot of marcus peters film let's just let's just say that i can see that and the good news is we're not gonna waste the defensive player of the year award on him it seems like it's jumped out to miles garrett or tj watt right now yeah Making the digs talk has faded. The digs talk has faded. It was fun while it lasted, though. I guess. We head next to Tennessee, where the surging Titans host the confusing Saints as modest three-point home favorites. The Titans' week nine beatdown of the Rams was probably the most surprising result of the entire season so far. Uh, I guess non-Bills-Jaguars division, especially since the Titans got so little out of their post-Derrick Henry backfield. The Saints have some backfield concerns of their own, Pat, but... What should we make of this Titans backfield after one game without Derrick Henry where it's basically just totally inconclusive with, you know, Adrian Peterson's out there expected, Jamie McNichols is out there expected, Deontay Foreman probably more than expected. What are the trends, if any, did we identify in this Titans backfield, Pat? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to – we're going to have to do some guesswork this week because it's Adrian Peterson's first game with the team. It's Deontay Foreman's first game back with the team. Deontay Foreman was there last year. They're very familiar with him. He's familiar with them. I believe he was with, in Atlanta for the preseason, but, I mean, he he knows the system. So, for him to come in and have 21% of the snaps, I don't know that that actually means that much. I, I'm a little intrigued by Foreman. I always kind of have been. So I, I would like for him to be involved going forward. But my guess is that he's sort of a fill-in for snaps that are going to go to Adrian Peterson because, you know, they're, they're just kind of working Peterson in. Jeremy McNichols had 45% of the snaps. That might be a little bit of a better bet to, you know, have him kind of stick around in that, like, for, like a 60-40 split with Peterson once he's fully ramped up. Uh, Peterson had 33% of the snaps. So I would I would anticipate that Peterson gets up probably this week to, like, 45, 55% of snaps. And that comes mostly at the expense of Foreman and somewhat at the expense of McNichols. But we don't really have much, you know, concrete to go off here. We have to, we have to make good guesses. Don't have much. And I don't think our prognostication has changed at all from the first game. Uh, Jeremy Nichols, the pass catcher, Adrian Peterson leading the team in carries and goal line opportunities, and then Foreman sprinkling him behind them. For this game, though, it is interesting because we know New Orleans not allowed over 72 rushing yards to any running back all year. And so it's a touch, tough matchup for all outside of McNichols if we expect them to play more pass catching opportunities to pass more in general, because we did see this past week in their first game without Derrick Henry, the Titans did throw the ball on 51% of their plays with a lead. Whereas in the first eight games, that was at 45%. So a small alteration, but a significant one actually for a team who just used to run the ball, both from neutral game script and whenever they were leading teams. Who do you feel most comfortable starting? If any, is it still Adrian Peterson and just praying he does what he did at the end of week nine and fall forward for a one or two yard touchdown? Yeah, that'd be my pick. I like how Corain laid it out as well, that Foreman knows the system and earned a fifth of the snaps. And Adrian Peterson was coming off, I think, like three days of practice, maybe four with the team generously. Uh, You expect that given, you know, given Foreman's uh, repertoire with the team, he'd be the guy they would go to early while Peterson is starting to learn his new team. And as we get one, two, three weeks into the Adrian Peterson era of this offense, 
I really struggle to see Foreman picking up more than like a carry or two within you know two weeks from now. Right, the, the chat does he, note that he looks good, and I think he looks good too. But you know, all right, all right, gotta go, with, gotta go with our head, not our heart here, guys. <laughs> yeah. You made fun of me for bringing up Andy Isabella as like that classic dynasty stash, but Foreman comes up, you're like, whoa, <laughs> guys, let's not let's turn the light on for Deonta Foreman. Yeah, Foreman's been good when he's been given a chance. That's why you, Andy you Isabella say, had a long catch at one time. <laughs> you, you say uh, 48 hours of practice, but yeah, remember Peterson was called up and promoted 24 hours before Foreman, and then out touched him and out snapped him on that 40. 48 hours of practice. So, like you said, Kyle, yeah. we would expect Peterson's role to grow. Daigle, there are whispers that Alvin Kamara is battling an ankle injury. We're going to have an official injury report by the time people actually hear this podcast. But the Saints are working out running backs on Monday. You know, the word around town is Alvin Kamara is banged up, probably with the ankle. How do we approach the Saints' backfield? Say if he's out there, Alvin Kamara, are we worried about a smaller workload? But the workload's already going down a little bit with Mark Ingram which you know, is to be expected. We, he now has an actual running back behind him on the depth chart instead of like a blank space. But just what are your initial Alvin Kamara thoughts for week 10? Where, unfortunately, yeah, we need more information before we can like really get into like if we're starting Alvin Kamara or not. But just what are your initial thoughts on Kamara on the Saints backfield? Well, we know Ingram is still a good play no matter what. Uh, and he's actually forced – this re- just recently, this most recent game, Alvin Kamara to handle a season low 55% of the team's backfield touches. Ingram himself has now averaged 11 touches in his past two games under Sean Payton since reuniting with the Saints, finishing as the RB43 and RB25 in those two contests. And the waiver wire column, I ranked Ingram as the best long-term pickup in a week where Jarenis Johnson, Devontae Freeman, Jordan Howard, uh, Carlos Hyde, Brandon Bolden were all available, for example. But he becomes a top 10 option. Like he's a standalone RB3 Ingram is with top 10 upside because he is just someone who steps right in and is a starter immediately, a work-based starter if Kamara's out. So that's why I love just having Ingram on your roster and think he's a fine start no matter what. Quarterbacks, there's almost as many questions as the the running backs for these teams where it was very inconclusive first Ryan Tannehill start without Derrick Henry, only 143 yards passing, only averaged 5.3 yards per attempt. Just didn't really have to do much as Matthew Stafford sabotaged the line or the Rams inside their own 20 yard line twice, made it an easy game for the Titans. Do we think Tannehill is a streamer you know, versus this unfriendly Saints pass defense or I just, yeah, what, Cray, I see you nodding your head. So give us the, the Tannehill take because I just feel like I don't know what to think. How I just feel like we still have no idea how Tannehill is really going to hold up without this really robust running game. I'm excited. They ranked fourth in play action rate in week nine, which to me is like the big thing about losing Henry for the passing game because Henry obviously helps the offense. He's an incredible running back, but like play action specifically doesn't actually need Henry. It just needs the play action plays to be run like play actions effective, whether or not the running game is effective. So the fact that they were running play action at such a high rate post Henry is a really bullish sign because Tannehill's awesome on play action. And he ranks fifth in the, in uh, EPA this, this season EPA per play. And he ranks 13th in completion percentage over expected. He's been accurate. He's been highly efficient. If there's a little bit more volume to the point that Daigle made at the top of this game, which, you know, it's, it looks like there's going to be more passing volume, then I, I'm very excited about Tannehill. I'm excited about A.J. Brown. I think this is going to be what we had hoped. Now, the Rams gave the game away, you know, so they didn't need to to throw. But I think this will probably be bit, a, a bit more of a back-and-forth affair. 
and that makes me pretty interested in Tannehill. And we've seen that the Saints defense isn't unbeatable. They returned from full, for full health from their bye in week six. And since that time, like just, just the past two weeks, for example, they've allowed over 70% of their passes against them completed to Matt Ryan and, and Tom Brady. So I don't think it's a rough spot for Tannehill at all, especially since these are the, the Tennessee Kingslayers who are on a five-game winning streak that includes Chiefs, Bills, Colts, and Rams. Quick update to Alvin Kamara did not practice on Wednesday. So as you can listen to this pod, we thankfully got an update during the show. He is not practicing. He's going to be genuinely questionable, I think. So be prepared to take it down to the wire with Kamara. And be prepared, folks, to get Mark Ingram in there. Top 18? Top uh, he'd be a minimum top, top 18, 18. Top, like, top, top 10, eight, top, top 8. You're, you just lop the one off there, top 8. Like uh, I don't know. Well, because that gets us to our next question. The Saints passing attack, can they sustain offense? Is there any way Trevor no. Simeon can actually attempt 51 passes again? And there has to be a bigger Taysom Hill role, does there not? Like, was that, that, there's no way that couldn't – that had to just be the fact that he had been out with a concussion for a month – like, I don't know if any of us – Denny's a Taysom Hill sicko. Like, Denny, like, actually likes Taysom Hill. I don't know if any of us are, like, actually Taysom Hill fans, but I I'm not now. a fan of Trevor Simeon attempting 50 passes, I'll tell you that. And this role has to get bigger, does it not? Yeah, when, when Jameis Winston and Drew Brees were the quarterbacks, like, I don't know, do we really need to see that much Taysom Hill? Trevor Simeon, like, oh, my, I got to go buy my Taysom Hill jersey. Yeah. I actually am not sure we see that much more of him, though, because Peyton talked about this last year, is that when Taysom Hill is the direct backup, that presents a much higher risk that if he gets hurt on a play oh where he's goodness, just doing gracious. weird, dumb Taysom Hill stuff, that uh, that he, they lose their backup quarterback. And given the quarterback injuries, this could, like, they could be instantly onto an emergency. I don't know who their emergency guy would be, but they could be. It's Trevor Simeon. They're already on there. Yeah. Yeah. Guy. What yes, they have to thank lose? you. <laughs> but I think the thing is, Peyton will not. I don't think it's that likely that he risked. Like he talked about it last year. He said this last year that once they started moving to their backups, they did not want to risk Taysom Hill on as much of the weird Taysom Hill stuff. And like that logically makes sense. Like I, I think Taysom Hill should maybe be the starter. So that's probably not a player yes. you want to risk, uh, risk getting hurt. Although the fact that he's not the starter, maybe at least tells us their valuation of him. I mean, risk getting him hurt by making him the starter. There's one quarterback who ranks worse in both EPA per play and CPOE, completion percentage over expected, than Trevor Simeon, and it's Zach Wilson. Get this guy off the field. Put Taysom Hill in there. I agree. I would love to see uh, Taysom Hill play like a fifth of the team snaps last week. I would love to see that 100 from under center. But uh, like strategically, if you go in with the assumption that Trevor Simeon is the better quarterback, the starter, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to have your, uh, you know, your backup quarterback running punt gunner routes. I get, what, what I don't understand is they would yank Drew Brees off the field like 12 times per game, and you can only yank Trevor Simeon twice? Like, how does that make any sense whatsoever? And and I, Simeon, I think it's honestly the concussion. I think it was the layoff, and then the role is going to get bigger. Well, even so, you can't start Taysom Hill unless he's named a starter. Like, even in Superflex leagues, that's the issue because there's still too much concern that his role would not grow after Simeon played 96% of the snaps. And, yes, Hill was sprinkled in on the final game-winning drive or the attempted game-win drive. Uh, also, we think that they would want to play Hill more since, although none of us can name a Titans cornerback, like, their team has recorded the second-most sacks and seven picks during their five-game winning streak because they get coverage with their front seven. I already mentioned Harold Lindry, uh, Bud Dupree, as he's gotten healthier, has been a better player as well. So their front seven is very impactful, and you actually need a mobile quarterback out there in this game. So that's the only issue. But unless he's truly named starter on the NBC Sports Edge news page, you can't play him in fantasy. 
Daigle, his name is Jack Rabbit Jenkins. Uh, there is a Titans corner that we know, and it's Mr. Sure he hasn't Jack been cut yet. <laughs> he has not been cut. It's yes. it's, it's Mr. Jack Rabbit, folks. And uh, we'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you are eyeing up on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus. And do it at a discount. Use the promo code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. That is GOOD10 for 10% off NBC Sports Edge Plus. The Bucks come off their bye getting nine and a half points on the road against the football team who just got dominated by the Broncos, except that didn't actually happen. That was like two or three weeks ago, wasn't it? Uh, the football the football team's coming off by too, are they not? That they um, are. Points bet shows a they 51 are. and a half over under for a contest where the Bucks will be missing Antonio Brown again, probably missing Rob Gronkowski again. Dagle, with that narrower target tree, who are we prioritizing this week, Chris Godwin or Mike Evans? Well, we don't know if Chris Godwin's going to play either. Uh, he's battling a foot injury. He did not practice on Wednesday, and Bruce Arians said he's not sure of his role as status for Sunday just yet. So it may be Mike Evans and Tyler Johnson who we're talking about here. But honestly, with such a whittled down target tree, it still stays concerted even if Godwin is rolled out because it's then Evans, Tyler Johnson, and Leonard Fournette. And that's it, honestly. You left out a really key name there. Brashad Perriman is back to his old stomping grounds where he was like a wide receiver four the last time he was on the Bucks. He was uh, like a wide receiver two in those games. He went off in a few games while admittedly all of their other guys were hurt, but like that was what got him another contract in the NFL. Had he flamed out there, it probably would have been over. So like if Chris Godwin doesn't play as Mike Evans, like a top five wide receiver, hopefully. Yes. Yep. Like no, you just you just jam him in there. Crane has hey, Crane has doubts. Crane, lay it on. I, I mean, I just I guess I I struggle to think that like he's got that level of upside just purely from like target share. Now he gets used in the red zone. He gets used deep. So I don't want to say he doesn't have a ton of upside. He does, but like I don't know that the target the targets condensing when Antonio Brown gets pulled out is awesome. But when Godwin gets pulled out, I don't know that like he's going to see a massive target share increase. Like. They're going to – Brady spreads the ball around. Sounds like maybe we got a Scotty Miller sicko in our hands. Is, is that true, Pat? Scotty Miller's injured too. Oh yeah, he's gosh. on IR, I think. Oh he, he was uh, – he was had his 20 Tyler Darden? Uh, uh, 
So I, I, I have an up, why do I have an Scotty Miller? I have an, I have an update on Scotty Miller. His, his 21 day practice window was activated like a week or two ago. Oh, they don't know if he's going to play though. He said he hopes to play and then said, we'll see what the trainers say. That's a way of saying he's probably not going to play. So it would be probably Jalen Darden. I would think. I'm going to ban the 21 day practice window. I'm just when, yeah, when let's they're back. I, well, I couldn't be more in agreement. I'm I'm ready to go out and well. Let's talk about a up. super ridiculous loophole. Like if they're practicing, they're practicing. You need to issue a practice status on them. Yeah, yeah but that's because they that's, don't do practice reports. It's awful. That, that's what we're dealing with on the other side of the ball here too. Is that Logan Thomas is practice? Well, he's participating, but they don't have to give his status since he's not active yet. He just has his window open. Thus, he's just kind of roaming around, and no reporter can tell us anything on it because that's in the CBA. And so we don't even know if Logan Thomas is going to be back this game either. It's like a max size loophole. Like if you're practicing, you need to have a status report. It's pretty pretty straightforward, I would say. My apologies to Cyril Grayson, who is that's who I was thinking of when I said Gunnar Oshesky, who I believe is a Patriot. So I don't know where I think it's, <laughs> well, it's, easy, to lo- it's easy to lose track of like how many different spark stars do we have at the back end of this Bucks receiver core, man? Like Every year they sign like the analytics darling, I feel like. And then every year they catch like four total passes. Yeah, like they have a road of his sub. Someone on their team who has the <laughs> who has like the ear of some random scout has a road of his sub because it's always the it's the Jalen Darden, Justin Watson, Scotty Miller types where they're small school big producers that make their way onto the back of the roster. And like I, I'm always interested in playing those guys when they get roles. Like I will be firing up Tyler Johnson, who I assume is like 3.1k on, on draftings this week the good news scott miller they'll have to announce it by saturday if he's if he's activated he, he, he a top 18 receiver scotty miller folks so. well, it sounds like we're dealing with like tyler johnson chalk is that is that where we're headed mark ingram and tyler johnson chalk week in dfs it's pretty gross <laughs> i mean tyler johnson would be a good play you will not convince me that at minimum price as as tom brady at 20 percent owned yeah okay well i i mean a good play in how he projects not in a you know theory kind of way to be clear john daigle totally stone-faced at the tyler johnson talk so i'm just going to ask him where in the world do we rank antonio gibson coming off this football team by he was you know supposedly gotten healthier before they went on by or he was removed from the injury report on the friday and then the, the subsequent sunday had his smallest workload of the entire year what do we do with this john Split touches with 11 apiece between J.D. McKissick himself and Jarrett Patterson. Crane and I talked about this on the Monday Waiver Wire show, as Patterson is a, a good stash for deeper leagues. But I genuinely do wonder if they just said, hey, we got to get the hell out of here. Like, we are banged up. Uh, it was a lifeless, lifeless. I had to cover the game for us. Performance against the Broncos before they went to buy. They didn't have Diami Brown. They didn't have Cam Sims. They were running DeAndre Carter for like the second most routes. They just needed to get healthy immediately. And so I do wonder if that was just what happened and Gibson returns to his full role. Having said that, we also know there's a reason why teams are throwing on the Bucks at the with the second most pass attempts per game. And it's because you can't run against them. Only Khalil Herbert has had success against them, and Khalil Herbert got benched this past week. So <laughs> I just think that it is still makes up for a very good game for J.D. McKissick as a low-end RB2 in PPR leagues. And Gibson, Crane, I mean, you got to help me out here because I don't don't know. I really have no answer. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. It's a a McKissick game. If he was coming back against the Chargers or something and we could go, all right, run funnel, like you're going to have to ride him, then that'd be, you know, you'd say, oh, yeah, no question, kind of probably like, you know, running back 15 or something like that. But like – I mean, he's probably like a round like he's he's like a mid running back three. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Gibby. Yeah, I mean, I you get him in the top thirty six, but like barely. He's just in that zone of guys. He's in like the Jamal Williams zone, where like 
mean, I guess this guy's going to get the ball, but is he actually going to do anything with it? Like, I have no idea. And you know, that's a pretty catastrophic outcome for a guy who was a yeah. Was he a late first round pick in some leagues? He I was feel when like I was in the draft. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've got him as the RB thirty three right now, sandwiched between Tony Pollard and Ty Johnson, two guys who might actually catch some passes. And I just yeah, Antonio Gibson. It's that wait and see, which I mean, Kyle of course means he's going to make you a million dollars in DFS since he's a wait and see player. Antonio Gibson, but I just don't know how you can no, don't. We have This seen is a it. true wait and see, Kyle. No, no, no. We have seen it. The thing is, it's not a wait and see. We have seen it. We have seen that there, like, he hasn't seen more than three targets since week one in a game. And, like, the upside is that he outtouches Jarrett Patterson. The upside is no longer that week two. Well, what if they start using him more as a passing, you know, passing downs player? It's There's no upside. It's done. We've lost the battle. Play for 2022. Real quick, do we see Logan Thomas, if he indeed comes back, just taking his every down roll back from Ricky Seals Jones, or is this gonna be a team maybe actually starts using two tight ends? Is it gonna be a, is it gonna be a one for one replacement with Logan Thomas coming back for RSJ? He did play every snap in his first three games. Uh, having said that, he got there in fantasy for two touchdowns because even his production, just with 119 yards across three games, wasn't that great. Uh, we need to see the statuses of their other wide receivers too because that will probably dictate who is available, and then if they need to play more 12 personnel with two tight ends using Ricky Seals-Jones. I think it is a still Logan Thomas if he's available. It's still the the tight end one you're using here. But if out, we also know Ricky Seals-Jones will continue playing every snap and we will continue leaning on him. I would imagine Seals-Jones just kind of goes away, honestly, if Thomas is healthy. But again, that's what we were waiting on because we don't know. In a world where Khalil Herbert just went away, I think that Seals Jones will probably go away. Unfortunately, Ricky, yeah. uh, we loved you. We we're gonna miss yeah. you. And uh, I wish you'd I'd wish you'd stick around. I wish you'd played over yeah. Logan Thomas, but I don't think yeah. it'll happen. Just thank yeah. you so much for what you've done in my fourteen team leagues. You know, with three flex spots where all my good players were hurt. We just we really really we, appreciate it, Ricky. With Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, getting an MRI and still being an unknown timetable away from returning, we also love Terry McLaurin. Good to see you, buddy. Had a good year. We'll talk to you later. Welcome back, Scary. Welcome back, Scary. The Eagles and Broncos continued their seesaw seasons in Week 9 with the Eagles succumbing to the Chargers and the Broncos dominating the Cowboys. Vegas doesn't seem to really know what to to do with this one with points bet. Clocking the Broncos as two-and-a-half-point favorites against the Eagles. Kyle, we'll start with the Eagles, where Jalen Hurts followed up his QB 25 week eight with the QB 14 week nine. The first two times all year he finished outside the top 12. Is Jalen Hurts finally beginning to fall back with Nick Sirianni? It's like all in on the run after previously being all in on the pass. Yeah, it's been a really weird shift that, uh, like, I don't want to say Sirianni was just like listening to Eagles talk radio or whatever, but there was just calls and calls for them to stop putting so much on Jalen Hurd's plate. And uh, also to ramp up Miles Sanders, that part unfortunately isn't able to happen because he's injured, but they did go ahead and completely switch to uh, a run heavy team. Some of that buoyed by like one weird game versus the Lions where they absolutely obliterated the Lions. But then there were other games where even in losses, they were much more balanced. So I do think they're kind of like it's a small sample to work with, but I think we have to anticipate that they are not that Jalen Hurts Superman type of team they were early in the year. And if that's the case, yeah, he probably is still a little less exciting, but we weren't playing him because we were, you know, like let's get 50 pass attempts from Jalen Hurts. It's because we can get eight rush attempts for 60 yards and a touchdown. And I still think that probably stands, even if you're still losing some scramble potential from fewer dropbacks. 
He does probably lose some of that top five allure in any given week, though, and especially in a game with a low total, slight underdog, so a low implied team total, he does more fall into that QB 10, 11, 12 range, whereas it was arguable when he was playing in an exciting game or versus a bad defense. He was a top five fantasy option. I think he's just edged outside of that now. It's wild that the Eagles at this point are now a run-heavy team on the season and pass rate over expected. They, I mean, if you told us that like three, four weeks ago, I mean, it just, it seemed impossible. They were so pass heavy and they've gone completely the other way. I, I do think it has a big impact on uh, Jalen Hurts. I mean, they had a, a pass rate of expected last week of minus 19%, which is the lowest of the entire season. So they're not slowing down here. Now, you know, they were against the Chargers run funnel. You would expect that. But I don't think that they're like, they're philosophically, they, they've had a shift. And, you know, I don't know if it came from listening to talk radio either, but I'm not sure, like, what would be different if it had come from talk radio? <laughs> you know, this, well, I it think is maybe, almost like... <laughs> Sirianni, Denny and I got done. Maybe just can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Or it's like, you can only pass. Or you can only, we can only focus on the pass. No one even mentioned the yeah. run to me. And I was like, never mind. It's only the run. If anyone mentions the pass, you're fired. You're off the team. Kenneth Gainwell, you're fired. You're off the team. Sirianni, who has had something thrown at him from the stands in two of their last three games now. <laughs> That's well. sadly that's that's that right now. there. You stole it that <laughs> that's that's what you come to the good football show for is that stat right there. Um, also, Kyle mentioned you know the small sample, but it's actually a pretty large sample since they do lead the league and run play rate from one score games for the past month now. And so I believe since they have been competitive doing that and trouncing the Lions and then taking it all the way to the final drive against the Chargers, that's what they are want to do in this game against the Broncos. Uh, the Cowboys did not have success with it, but teams prior to that did have success against the Broncos. So I would imagine it is still a Jordan Howard and to a lesser extent Boston Scott game since we just saw Howard uh, have the most carries of any Eagles running back, Miles Sanders included, in, any, in a single game all year. He's got 29 carries over his past two games. He is – He's back in a big way, which it's hard to think of a harder, more 2021 development. And one of those, you know, finicky rules that we don't know why the NFL does it, but you can't move a guy to your practice squad on and off for three consecutive weeks without signing them to their roster officially with a contract. And they actually did just give Jordan Howard a contract. So I would think he sticks around over Boston Scott if Miles Sanders is back next week as well. I just had the ultimate sicko thought, by the way. I wish I were kidding about this, but... In my head, I was thinking like, man, I just wish Jordan Howard was on the Titans. Like he'd just be, he'd just gobble up those carries for the Titans. He'd be like a top 18 running back. He's better than Adrian Peterson. I wish we could get Jordan Howard on the Titans. Then I think I should turn in my gun and badge. I feel a little nauseous. I'm not going <laughs> Crane, real quick, before we move on to the Broncos, this Eagles pass. So we talk, we talk about the Hurts transformation, the running game transformation. You know, Devontae Smith finally had a big game last week. Uh, Dallas Goddard had his quietest game of three since the Eagles traded Zach Ertz. Just where are we at with this Eagles passing attack? And where are we at with Dallas Goddard? Yeah, Dallas Goddard, I was looking at uh, average depth of target for tight ends because it's kind of remarkable just how if you just look at guys who play a full complement of routes and are targeted deep. So 80% plus route rate and an eight out of eight. There's three tight ends in the league, Kyle Pitts, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller. That's it. Just targeted deep and run a bunch of routes. That's really the path to upside. Dallas Goddard has a 9.3 ADOT. He's run 83% of routes or more since week seven over the last three weeks. So 
he has that profile. He just, you know, early on in the season was splitting it, and now he's a full-time tight end. By the way, Mike Jasicki, over the last three weeks, same deal. He gets targeted very deep, and he's been running more routes as well. It's kind of the de facto wide receiver, too, with Parker out. So when you when you find a guy who's getting targeted deep like this and is running a full slate of routes, I think you just go to it. I mean, this really is the profile that we're looking for, and it's a pretty rare profile. You need him to get targeted at a high rate. It's tight end. It's going to bounce around a bit. It's you know a low-volume passing attack. It's Jalen Hurts, all of that. But I think Goddard still has a very strong tight end profile. We'll go a step beyond that, too, because it's not only he's on the field and getting deep targets, he's getting a volume of deep targets as well because he does have a 31% target share in his last three games without Zach Hurts. And we saw this past week with few passing attempts, with Jalen Hurts only throwing seven passes this past game, 70% literally condensed to Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard. They just don't go anywhere else. And so it's such a honed-in target tree whenever Hurts is asked to throw that Goddard's just literally running all the routes and getting all the targets from a onesie position, which is amazing. Dagle, on the other side of the ball, Teddy Bridgewater kind of bottomed out during the Broncos' four-game winning streak. He's stabilized a bit during this two-game winning streak, averaging over eight yards per attempt again, but still not much ceiling, under 250 yards both games. Only two passing touchdowns. He did get a rushing touchdown against the Cowboys, but we kind of talked about earlier. I mean, what's the deal with Teddy this week? Is he on the streaming radar? I think he's definitely a strong streamer. I would still start, as we talked about earlier, Matt Ryan over him. But the QB 16-17 fits in nicely because we've seen that Philadelphia has just been paper cut over the last month. Uh, They are registering the league's fifth lowest pressure rate since week four against Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, for example, because all four of those quarterbacks I just named completed over 80% of their passes against the Eagles because all they did was drop back and get rid of the ball quickly because they know Jonathan Gannon is just running vanilla one-cover shell screens and allowing them to throw underneath. And that actually fits Bridgewater's tendencies since 60% of his passes this year have come within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. So I think it's a heavy dump-off game we're about to see for Jerry Judy in particular to excel. See, are we tr- who can we trust? I mean, is Jerry Judy the guy to trust? I mean, Cortland Sutton, his numbers have just like collapsed the past two weeks. Tim Patrick led this receiver core in yards last Sunday. Who are we trusting out of these three? Are we just, is it to the point where like we just bet on Jerry Judy targets and maybe consider Cortland Sutton too volatile to be a wide receiver too? Cortland Sutton's worst games uh, in terms of target totals have all come with Jerry Judy in the lineup. And it was more concerning that Tim Patrick, like you said, out-targeted him last week. I do think he probably is falling back into that wide receiver three volatile, still probably a lot of, or at least more than average deep shots. But with Jerry Judy coming back and immediately siphoning off a pretty strong amount of targets, uh, it does feel like Sutton, volatile, maybe some upside, although you know the offense isn't one we're necessarily targeting for upside. And Jerry Judy is probably the best floor and really given how talented he is it's easily can be argued that he's also just the best ceiling that's that's what we want to hear that's what we want yeah to hear. it's an alberto banged up now so we've got you know yes alberto's always banged up i hate to say it as a mizzou alum he's so talented but he is banged up a lot no fan should patrick. be able to come back this week though tim patrick also banged up right now yeah yeah, so the targets could condense a little bit. And also, Jerry Judy has played uh, 76% of his snaps in the slot. He's got a 2.5 yards per route run. I- I'm excited about Jerry Judy. You know, the matchup is Daigle laid it out. Like, we're looking for shorter targets. We're looking for underneath targets. Maybe there's some additional targets available there with the tight ends banged up. Jerry Judy's been awesome so far on his routes. Uh, 
I think it could be a little bit of a low volume passing attack, you know, but I still like Jerry Judy here. I just had terrors in my head of Darius Slade just getting glued to Jerry Judy and just nothing happening and just weeping on. So that's how I spend most of my Sundays just weeping anyway. Um, that could be part of it. real quick on this game. Javante Williams is he may be starting to make a move. I mean, Melvin Gordon touched the ball like 24 times, but Javante, it was only 17 carries for Javante Williams. He didn't catch a pass, but he had runs of 11, 27, 17, 37, and 10 yards. Like he was ripping chunk gains against the Cowboys defense that hadn't been allowing a lot of running back fantasy points. And I was just wondering if anyone maybe saw some actual daylight there for Javante Williams or just know this is a really run-heavy offense. Melvin Gordon's workload was very robust still in week nine. Where do we find ourselves with this Broncos backfield? Kareem, you look excited, but the fact that he once again got out, out-carried 21-17 and out-targeted 3-0 still has me to the point where unless they're boat racing their opponents, that, that rushing volume, even if they are a run-heavy team, projects to come down. It is so blatantly clear that Javante is more explosive, just overall offers you on a per-carry basis vastly more than Melvin Gordon ever will. The team does not care, though. They have shown us time and time again that they will split their carries. Uh, albeit, I think you can still probably slot Javante in as, like, despite seeing maybe less volume, arguably ahead of Melvin Gordon, simply for the fact that, uh, like, we, we've seen that it is very possible in any given game, if they come within two or three carries of each other, Javante probably should out yardage him. Yeah, simply for the fact that he looks like one of the best young running backs in the entire league. I mean, he's running back sixth in success rate. He's he's second in breakaway percentage. He's second in elusive rating. And he's been at the top of these metrics for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like, he's just been consistently crushing. Yeah, they're not giving him the workload yet, but it's getting to the point where the dude is, like, banging on the door to get the full workload. It kind of reminds me a little bit of DeAndre Swift last year where, you know, it's like, they're, they're just refusing to they continue to play Adrian Peterson. They continue to play Adrian Peterson. But it gets to the point where we've seen the talent really come through. One of these weeks, they're actually going to give him the, the workload. He's going to be a 1A back, you know, maybe even a clear lead back at some point. And he's going to be a smash because of how talented he is. And they want to be a run-heavy team. And this spot, the Eagles have been a, have been a run funnel. Teams have shifted 3% to the run against them. So, and also the Eagles are like, because they're going run heavy, I could see this being kind of a low scoring game where the Broncos are able to, to keep things on the ground uh, pretty easily. So in all likelihood, this will not be the week that Javante Williams actually breaks out, but I'm starting to get to the point where I want to start to sprinkle him into like DFS and stuff. Like I haven't been, this would be the first week that I do that, but I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where I actually do think it could be imminent to where he gets like a, you know, a 1A type of workload. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because oh, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera.
Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The NFL season is in full swing, and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered with Sunday Night 7. Predict what will happen between the Chiefs and Raiders on Sunday Night Football for a chance to win up to $100,000. It is free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. And starting after Thanksgiving, $1 million will be up for grabs every Sunday night. NFL Sunday Night 7 on NBCSports.com slash predictor. We end with the Steelers hosting the Lions as eight-and-a-half-point favorites, according to PointsBet. You know, Steelers coming off the Tony Corinthi Bowl. The Lions coming off a much-needed buy where they looked like I mean, easily the worst team in the NFL, losing 44-6 to to the Eagles in Week 8. You know, we've been A topic, a theme the show has been gross streamers. Uh, is Big Ben, Pat Crane, I'll throw this to you. Uh, I mean, the talk about a guy who's displayed zero ceiling, but – can we stream Ben Roethlisberger against the Lions, or is it just Najee all day and all night in Pittsburgh this Sunday? Well, I don't know if you guys saw the update today, but Roethlisberger revealed that he'd hurt his shoulder a while back. Uh, it's unclear exactly when, because he said it might have been against Cincinnati, who they played in, I believe, week three. But then he said it might have been against Oakland, who they last played in 2018. <laughs> so that would explain a lot. You know, we've really seen some some fall off in his play. Uh, Roethlisberger so he, literally he did made the joke about his own health that I wanted to make on this show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think the Lions, they're so bad on defense. They're truly terrible on defense. You can do whatever you want against them. The Steelers have been balanced, but they're starting to shift toward the run. We've seen them go pretty run heavy in a number of weeks. Uh, Last week, they were balanced, but they were minus 4% in week 8. They were minus 12% in week 5. They haven't been really pass-heavy since week 3. So I think that they're going to want to run this through Najee Harris. I think you could probably stream Roethlisberger, I guess, but it feels like kind of a low upside and maybe a a little bit lower floor than you think because they could just use Najee to salt away the game and, and throw short a bunch. Yeah, Roethlisberger has no 20-point games, no games with uh, three touchdowns, one game with 300 passing yards. I mean, he is not – he's close. He's come to a QB1 form since QB14. Like, he just has no upside. As Crane said, the guys who have no upside, coincidentally, also just have low floors because he has more games below QB24 than he has – even above QB15, which isn't even QB1. So you can stream him in three quarterback leagues. (laughs) Yeah. The, the, saving, the saving grace is that the Lions, like as bad as we know they are, like even the numbers don't do it justice. Like they've allowed seven passing touchdowns in their last five games in October, despite facing Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts in that time, who didn't throw a touchdown at all. They're just terrible. So that would be the one excuse you make here, like in super flex leagues. But in one quarterback leagues, I cannot imagine getting to that point. Anytime you have to stream the far lower upside version of Matt Ryan, you just have to do it with Big Ben Roethlisberger. You just have to do it. So yeah, no Ben is just. I mean, is it not just please Ben? Just like I was, you know, it's not up for me to tell you what you do with your life, but you know, Philip Rivers retired. You know, a lot of these guys are moving on, going on TV. I just, you know, I think you might enjoy it. 
Um, so I just think I think you might enjoy it. Uh, but you know who wouldn't enjoy Ben Roethlisberger? I'll tell you that. You know who wouldn't enjoy Ben Roethlisberger retiring? Daigle, Pat Fryermuth, because Ben is supplying him with a steady stream of touchdowns. Is Pat Fryermuth becoming a tight end one? He really, really is. Has earned a twenty percent target share in his last two games without Eric Ebron earning a team high four red zone targets and matching Chase Claypool with three end zone targets in that span. Also running a route on 71% of Ben Roethlisberger's dropbacks in those two games. And now we see that Claypool received an MRI on his toe. We don't know his status just yet, but that continues to open up doors for Fryermuth. It's one thing to get opportunities like he stumbled into without Juju Smith-Schuster, without Eric Ebron, but to continue delivering with those opportunities is how you stick around. And so far so good for Fryermuth as a low tight end one for the rest of the season, in my opinion. The other side of the ball, I mean, we know there's not a Lions receiver we can trust. It's honestly not even really worth talking about the Lions receivers. In the backfield, do we have any DeAndre Swift concern about kind of back-to-back, really three games in a row where he's done nothing on the ground? 13 for 24, 13 for 48, 12 for 27. He has caught five passes all three of those games, and it didn't pre- come come out to fantasy numbers in that forty four to six game, but he's catching too many passes, right? For that that forty four to six to really create any DeAndre Swift concern. Yeah, if anything, the forty four to six games are almost the reason you want to play him. That maybe that's a bit of a stretch because we saw like Jamar Jefferson get in there, but the thirty to fourteen games where they're losing yeah. by a lot to where they have to pass, but where Dan Campbell sure as hell is not giving up the ghost and he's not giving up on these games at the point where they are losing by 38 short. That's not good. That's also not probably, they're terrible, but that is, even for them, an outlier event. These are the types of game scripts you want to be playing in because he is so amply used as a pass catcher, and we know that targets and receptions are just so much more valuable than rush attempts, especially with you know how poor the Lions are on offense. Those rush attempts are really unlikely to really spring him. It's the targets we want, and he'll keep getting them. And also, like Swift ranks pretty poorly in a number of rushing advanced metrics. He's but been he's bad been good as a runner, in, unfortunately. Yeah, he's been really good as a receiver. So it's like it's the thing he's bad at. You know, if we get him used more in early downs, I mean, I I got to you know I got sucked in when Jamal Williams got ruled out into the excitement of DeAndre Swift week, and obviously it, was, it failed spectacularly against <laughs> the Eagles. But it's in a weird way like that's the that's the opposite of what we want i think we want him just like exclusively used on passing downs as much as humanly possible like in, in truly kind of an alvin Kamara type of role because that's where he's best that's to kyle's point more valuable anyway and he might actually be pretty bad as a as an early down running back jamal williams also not practicing on wednesday out of the bye that's pretty concerning and we do know in that week eight game that deandre swift still out touched jamar jefferson and godwin I, let's just stick with that, uh, 17 to 5 until the Eagles took a 38 to 0 fourth quarter lead. So it took literally five scores for Swift to get taken off the field in garbage time. He'll be just fine. We'll close with TJ Hawkinson. Is he, see, he had the two really big games to begin the year. Then he struggled for like basically the better part of a month. Now he's really been cooking again. Target totals of 11, 9, and 11 in the three games going into the Lions by. Caught at least six passes all three of those games. This, he got into the point where you know he's weekly top five tight end. We don't have to worry about him even in this offense that's at like a weekly shutdown risk. Or is there still are there still red flags that are maybe getting ignored with TJ Hawkinson? Well, I was just going to say like we want to talk about Pat Fryermuth. He basically now has the same profile as TJ Hawkinson. 
He had a 76% route rate last week. TJ Hawkinson's at 85%, so that's a little better. He was targeted on 20%. He has a 20% target per route run this season. Uh, TJ Hawkinson's at 21%, so slightly better. And then he uh, Frymouth has an ADOT of 6.7. Hawkinson's at 7.3. So, again, a little better. But, like, you don't want your supposedly locked-in top-five tight end to be, like, a little bit better than what we're now expecting from Pat Frymouth. I don't think he's a top-five tight end. Like, I'd rather have Goddard. I'd rather have Gesicki. So I think he's kind of – he's still a tight end one because, like, he's got a pulse. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's down on the low end tight end one at this point. He also recorded those 11 targets in week eight, season high, 32% target share, in a game where he played a season low in snaps and a blowout. Also recall that game was his first time off the injury report uh, on a Friday off the final injury report since week four. So I would imagine he comes back fully healthy, as is Swift – who's not under the injury report at all on a Wednesday for the first time since week one for this game. And the fantasy plays are just so concentrated for the Lions among the two guys we talked about, uh, DeAndre Hawk, DeAndre Swift and T.J. Hawkinson. Well, in the show, can you guys name a Lions wide receiver? Go. Khalif <laughs> Raymond. Amon Ross St. Brown. No, those are fake. Those uh, are Dr- fake. Geronimo Allison. <laughs> Unfortunately, all three of those are correct, very much including Geronimo. Allison. We all lost. We all got it right and lost. Yeah, that's uh, they cut Tom Kennedy though, I believe. Thanks, um, uh, Daryl. I gotta go. I'm gonna go update the rankings. I'll be back. Yeah, pour one out for Tom Kennedy. Not good enough for the Lions receiver core. That's a pretty bad beat in the year 2021. Uh, is Tyrell Williams still on the team? He's not. He's been cut oh. as well, which seemed very surprising and unnecessary to me. I feel like he would do some good clearing out some space down the field for Jared Goff, but I guess that doesn't matter when Jared Goff's your quarterback. Because he doesn't throw down the field unless he has his hand held on play action. You know, he gets sprung out in like acres of space where he can set and throw. But that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on our first of two, our two week 10 previews. We'll be back on Thursday with Mr. Matt Straub, Mr. Denny Carter. We'll preview the rest of the slate. Check out DFS building blocks on Friday with John and Kyle. Check out Mr. Crane's walkthrough on Friday. Check out my rankings on Thursday. And just, just try to stay alive out there this fantasy season. We're getting into the playoff zone. And just best of luck. Stick with We've us. We've crossed the halfway point, right? We have. We have. Oh, we are man. halfway to the halfway point of this 40-week NFL season. So Just remember, we're all in this together. We're all going through it. Uh, no. The pain you are feeling is the same pain I'm feeling. So we're going to get there. It's okay. Uh, well, that's not true. If we play in the same league, we're not in this together. I hope you don't make it through. All right? Wow. On that true. note, we will catch you later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.